This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday and that means it's time for our Zoomer Squad. As always, there's a lot to talk about. Today, Toronto Mayor John Tory unveiled the first of 50 automated speed enforcement signs. The cameras are coming in two weeks and it's part of the broader Vision Zero plan. And this just one day after yet another older pedestrian, a 78-year-old man, was killed once again in Scarborough. So when will all these measures lead to safer streets for seniors and other pedestrians? We are waiting. Also in Toronto, the mayor and his executive committee are gung-ho to raise property taxes through a special levy. Everybody seems to be on side about this. And we've had a couple of councillors talking about this. and, And when seniors who might be house rich and cash poor complain about it they say no problem you guys can defer your property taxes but guess what older people don't necessarily want to defer their taxes so we'll delve into that Across the country, we've seen the new mandate letters for the Minister of Health. We'll drill down on that. And a big problem in B.C. with substandard care at foreign-owned nursing homes. Uh, People out there, we want to hear from you. The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now I would like to welcome Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravit, a Vice President of Zoomer Media. Hi, everyone. Hi, Hi Libby. Okay, so uh, where do we start? Vision Zero? I think it's generally a good idea. Um, the, the better enforcement there is on the streets, the less likely, hopefully, we are to see seniors and others getting injured. Um, I was driving on the streets of Toronto not too long ago, and there was a, I had my blinker on. I was trying to veer into another lane, and the man uh, in that lane sped up behind me to prevent me from coming in. I swerved oh, into my they... lane. Yeah, he was... Well, he was a jerk, if I'm being <laughs> honest with you. He was. And so... A lot of... Drivers do that. As soon as they see, like, you have plenty of time, you're driving slowly, you want to get into a lane, they just... They do, right? Yeah. And I'm Cut sure people, anyone that's listening to you w- w- probably has their own personal experience with that. Um, and what was frustrating is I had my daughter in the car. So all the more reason why I'm trying to be cautious and I was just so frustrated. And it happens all the time. And so, uh, you know, what did I do? I d- wrote down the license plate of the individual with a paper and a pen. And then I went and I reported it to the Toronto Police Service website where you can, where you can write down people's license plates. And I suppose that they get a warning. I'm not sure if a police officer knocks on the door. Hopefully they do. All of this is to say that's one mechanism of reporting it. This is another where they're unveiling these 50 automated speed enforcement signs. And uh, as far as I understand, where you're speeding, it'll detect it. And then you'll, you know, simply you'll receive a a notice in the mail that you have a fine to pay. Okay, so now it's signs. The cameras are coming starting in two weeks. 
in January, they will start sending out warnings if mm-hmm. you're speeding and no tickets for 90 days. So everybody has fair warning. And the other thing about these is that they're mobile. They'll be able to move around the city. So it's not like, you know, oh, there's there's one at this particular intersection, I'm just going to be slow when I do that because you're never going to know where you find it. Well, but even where Mayor Tory was speaking, he said in this school zone where the speed limit is 40 kilometers an hour, they caught someone driving 200 kilometers an hour. I mean, it's egregious. Yeah, and when they had their tests, most people were speeding. Yeah. Well, for sure. So For sure. Why are you saying for sure? Most people? I think, well, they're speeding and they're speeding. If I'm going uh, 50 and a 40 kilometer zone that's not too well and, and but the thing about these is that it'll be curious to see how how they roll out because well you know often there's an element of discretion on the part of the police officer to determine whether or not oh you're just going 10 over maybe we won't mm-hmm. issue you a ticket here and it's simply a warning with this one i mean if you're going one kilometer over the speed limit what happens right does it trigger that ticket i don't know and, well, and we'll, also we'll they, they do have some signs i've seen i know i I think I come down Mount Pleasant, and I think another one at Dufferin, where it says the speed limit is this, your speed yeah. Yeah. is this, but well, have, has one. Yeah. And I don't know that it really stops anybody, because all the ones I've seen, it's speed 40, your speed is 46, your speed mm-hmm. is 46. Because half the time, the traffic is so intense that you can't speed if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. I see doesn't you. mean you're paying attention. There's other dangerous driving other than just speeding. Right. Sure. Okay, so still in Toronto, what about what about this impending property tax hike? It's going to start really small, but it is going to amount to an 8% property tax hike in six years. Now, it still has to be passed by full council, but boy, everyone that I've spoken to is totally on side. They need the money. I mean, I sort of get that, and it's going to be dedicated to affordable housing and transit. Well, part A, I agree with you. I think everybody's on side. Part B, what it's dedicated to, and if you have any confidence that it will be actually spent on that and spent effectively on that, that's a whole other that's a whole other topic. It, that, it doesn't make sense to me that everyone you've spoken to would be on side with an well, 8% oh, property tax. Well, every counselor I've spoken to. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, fair, not, enough. Not, fair enough. No, 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 no. Because no. I hear that, and I'm, and I'm thankful I don't live in the city of Toronto. Well... Uh, but you, you've probably then been saying for a long time, those people in Toronto, they pay low property taxes. Yeah, that's that's mean, kind of that, a mantra in the GTA. Yeah, they, they pay the, according to some reports, they pay the fifth lowest in Canada. So, um, Still, to David's point, though, it's important to know where those funds will be spent. And if they do go toward, you know, as you say, whatever. Well, and the other thing is, of course, uh, the mayor ran on saying he will absolutely not do that. So, well, reality that? wins every time. Right? Reality wins, or does it mean he really isn't going to go for a third term? I don't know. I'm surprised that they said it was going to go on to transit, though, because that just seems to be a black hole of uh, spending with very poor visible results in the in the short term. Uh, I drive past that Eglinton crosstown mess every day. And oh, yeah. that's, you know, they will solve peace in the Middle East before that yeah. thing's finished. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, Let's as far hope as so. I can tell. Well, it, it's part of reducing congestion, too, right? If they can ever get the transit thing right, like maybe the you, you can actually get somewhere when you're driving. Yeah. But. but every mayor is promised to fix that problem that 
ginormous problem, and yet here we are. Here we are. Let's take a couple of calls, and, and uh, we'll start with a call from Montreal. Hi, Dave in Montreal. You're a first-time caller. Yes, good Welcome. afternoon. How are you? Fine. I'm listening to you on the TuneIn radio app. I listen to your station all the time here. Oh, the great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we're having the same, very same discussion here in Montreal about crosswalks and uh, about drivers not respecting them. It is a big, big problem here in the city. Uh, what they've done is they're starting to repaint the crosswalks a bright yellow because a lot of them, um, the paint was washed out from so many years of not having them painted. So they've, they're taking to repainting them a very bright yellow, and it's still not really having an effect. Uh, I am visually impaired. I use a white cane, and sometimes I don't even think the drivers notice it half the time. So, you know, it, it, it is a very serious matter, and I think we need to be talking about it, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I believe in Montreal uh, today uh, there was an issue with an alligator in a crosswalk. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you wouldn't want to run into that. <laughs> it, it escaped from a truck. Okay, what basically happened, I, uh, it was a show alligator, you know, that they use for show, and it escaped from this truck, and it uh, started walking across the street. And uh, Did it anyway, stay on the crosswalk? Kind of and the person that uh, was responsible for the alligator just picked it up in its arms, believe it or not, <laughs> put it back in the truck. I, I, Off they went. <laughs> rather interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, thank you for the Montreal perspective. I, you know, obviously we're not the only city with problems with that. Okay, Dave, thank thanks you. Very you have much a good day now. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Let's go to Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi. How are you? Fine. How are you? <laughs> not bad. Um, I I understand, and and we got to do something about these pedestrian deaths and injuries and whatnot. But the problem, what I see, and I live on West Mall, which is a heavy traffic street. Where there's lots of traffic here, and it's it's quite fast. But myself, even myself, I cross the street. I jaywalk, okay? But I always look. A lot of people don't. So if it was illegal to jaywalk, that you could get a ticket if you're walking across any street that's not at a crosswalk or an intersection, and it was they could get a fine for it because they don't now, but if they did, one of the things they would do, I think pedestrians, even if they're jaywalking, at least they would look. They're not necessarily looking for the traffic, but they're looking to see if there's a cop's going to give them a ticket. At least they're looking because right now they figure they have the full right to walk across the street with, and they don't even look. Okay, Bob, thanks okay. for your call. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's true. A lot of pedestrians do a lot of weird things, and, and one of them being walking uh, with their back to oncoming traffic while they're looking at their phones or, and listening to their buds. It's true. It's if, true if Bob's but, idea was applied here in Liberty Village, they could retire the city debt in probably <laughs> 10 years for jaywalking yeah, I, tickets. I, you know? I don't know that targeting the pedestrians is, I think no, it's probably no, going to be uh, a little more efficient to target the drivers. And as we keep saying, it's true. You're, you're, you're in charge of 2,000 pounds of steel. That's, that can cause a lot more havoc. Uh, pedestrians, I don't get why they're outsourcing their safety. It's crazy, but 
No, it, pedestrians is. ought to be cautious, but you know, one is much more lethal than the other. And but yeah, to that no point, kidding. but to the point about jaywalking, you in previous shows have commented, Libby, on Scarborough again. The yeah. The, yeah. the distances you have yeah. to are they is the city doing research into a pattern behind these pedestrian acts, injuries and fatalities? Is there other solutions that can be done? At those intersections, well, they, in addition to... They keep this. saying that they're coming, that the redesign of the streets are, are coming, and it's all in tranches. But, yeah, I mean, it's obvious, you know, especially people with mobility problems, you know, would it, and, you know, Bob admitted it, he jaywalks. If I had to go two kilometers between lights, I'd jaywalk, too. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. you got to get across, yeah. Well, Exactly. Let's hear from Joe in Mississauga. Hi, Joe. Hi there. Go ahead. How are you doing, Libby? Go ahead. You're on the air. How are we doing, Libby? Uh, we're fine. Go ahead. Yeah, I live out in Mississauga, and uh, we pay more taxes in Toronto. We're having a 4% increase this year. We had a 3 last year, and I can understand why Toronto's complaining about uh, 8% stretched over six years. There you go. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> Not a bad point. <laughs> the rival from the, the from the GTA, but you know what? Your infrastructure is a little newer than ours, for sure. Am I wrong? Yeah, but still, I'm a senior. I get six hundred a month, and that doesn't really help me. I, I I don't have. I have my heat that down at sixty seven. I don't use lights during the daytime. I wear a winter coat inside my house because. It's so expensive. I, I hear you. That is, that's awful. Um, can you defer your property taxes there? No, I pay them. I don't, I don't leave that for, uh, for down the road. I, I pay them, but I, well, seniors should get a break. Like, uh, we don't have children going to school or anything. And, I mean, we just made over the line of, uh, I cash in a small RSP, pay taxes on that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I did my taxes, and they dropped me down to 600 a month for a year. Yep, uh, I I hear you. It is not but, easy. And you don't drop my taxes because I'm a senior. I and you don't want. To, I mean, I don't know if that's eligible in Mississauga, but it sounds as most seniors do not want to defer their taxes for down. Well, no, I've been here for 35 years. My taxes just gone wacko, and I'm, and I've never moved in 35 years. Like I mean. If I would have moved and got to different residence, my taxes would have been even higher than I'm paying now. I'm paying $6,000 wow. on a small place. Okay, Joe, thank you for sharing that. I uh, hope, I mean, it's too bad we don't have a solution for you, but uh, at least uh, we are hearing about the problem. Appreciate that. Thank you. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you. Merry Christmas you. to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, um, I mean, there you go. That they don't says want to a, defer it. <laughs> they don't want to defer it, and and people in other parts of the GTA are, dare I say, resentful. Well, very uh, aware, acutely in, aware, aware of the of the difference too. Yeah, yeah. He, he knew exactly what the yeah the difference was in the in Toronto. Though you have a municipal land transfer tax, whereas yeah. outside of Toronto there isn't. Oh, and we have all these user fees yeah. that you know. Oh, your garbage levies going yeah. up, you whatever. So, uh, you know, when you add it all up, it's it's very expensive to live in Toronto. And there is an issue with people who bought their houses 30, 40 years ago when they were reasonable and suddenly, you know, Mm -hmm. 
But there you go. Um, let's talk about this very disturbing report about the state. Well, we've had a bad report about what's going on in nursing homes in general, but in BC, uh, there is a crisis in a number of foreign owned nursing homes. So I think the crisis exists everywhere. I don't think that these foreign home owned nursing homes are necessarily um, any worse or uh, than, than others we've seen because it seems to be a consistent issue with staffing shortages. And we know that that's a crisis from coast to coast to coast. And certainly here in Ontario, we know that there are a ton of homes that are understaffed um, and that those that are performing some of those duties and responsibilities are overworked and they're underpaid. And that seems to be the real issue that's going on in, in on Vancouver Island with these two homes, with these three homes, rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are owned by a Chinese company. Does, does, Peter, do you have a view of that? Well, just from what the... Um from what the report said was that it's owned by a Chinese company but run by a Canadian management company. So, um, you know, whether that absolves the, the owners from, from uh, you know, culpability for what, what's going on here, I, I, I would say it's, it, they're running a bare-bones operation there. And, um, and, and it's, it's probably f- direction from the Chinese company, but it's, it's, it's the management company that will be held responsible, I think. For sure, and they are paying their workers significantly less money right. than seven dollars was it an hour or something? Yeah. yeah, like half what workers get in provincially run facilities. I guess in reading the report, the BC government allowed employers to opt out of uh, paying their staff the same as in uh, provincial facilities. And surprise, surprise, a lot of them did, and so you've got this uh, wage disparity, this. Uh, a tremendous gap, and it's a challenging job at the best of times. So how do you get people to be attracted to that if they're not going to get paid? Right. If you're not paying them well, the ability to recruit and maintain that staff, then then Well, exactly. Drops. We've, you know, how many times have we talked about that? Yes, right. all oh, care yeah, workers. Are, yeah. And, and, and let's let's be frank with your audience. I mean, what are these people getting paid, right? You're, you're getting paid probably around $14 an hour, which is the average. And it sounds from these stories like these individuals were being paid even less. Now, what is the incentive to work in a facility where the hours are long, the work is tough, it's extremely onerous mentally and physically, and you could walk down the street and work at a Tim Hortons for $15 an hour, which would you rather do? And so as a result, we have this health That's human resources. too. I'm sorry, I'm being flipped. So, but and you've got so we have this this situation where people are people are are not going into this industry. That we have a, a human resources shortage among care workers. Well, yeah, and that goes back to uh, how many facilities are there? Where else can you get employment? What's the training? What's the the arc? You know, the timeline to become a worker in that field, and if you're not being uh, adequately uh, compensated for it. You're also, I mean, we're talking only about the hourly wage. The quality of the individuals you're going to attract at that wage if you don't make it worth their while. It reminds me a little bit, I don't have, you know, I'm not trying to make a statistical point of what, what might have been true, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, let's say in the lifetime of baby boomers, we always heard that teachers were were underpaid. And look at the contribution they're making. And look at how hard it is. And then, of course, the teachers' unions. Now we're, some people are saying they're overpaid. I don't 
think that's true. But there was a long they trajectory. They are well paid, let's say yeah. that. Yeah. But there was a long trajectory, I think you'll agree, yeah. where they were underpaid. And there was, you know, how can you get good people? You've got to pay more. And gradually the system responded. Looking ahead, and we've talked about this in previous weeks here about long-term care, how are you ever going to respond just by building beds if the people yeah. that are manning those systems yeah. are underpaid? Yeah, and, you know... Uh, Zoomers still have political power, yep. and it, it will change because there, there are more people who need long-term care all the time. Right. Let us take a call from Keith in Stouffville. Hi, Keith. Hi, Libby. Uh, I'd just like to, to make a comment on the, on the nursing homes. Uh, and the, the one that, lady that said something that they're overworked and underpaid, well, I, I mean, you know, I feel that way about the teachers, but, you know, you, can, you know they're not. Anyways, this nursing home that my aunt is in is a wonderful place. She ne- there's never been a problem that I've seen down there. She's been there for 10 years, and she gets well looked after. The staff is great, and the food is great, and they're looking after her, and she's 94 now, and she's still going strong. Well, that's good to hear. That's great yeah, but to hear. I know, I'm sure there are nursing homes that are different, but let's, you know, it's always nursing home. This, it's, there's, you know, there's not enough staff, this, that, the other. So, Anyways. So, so let, if I could just respond, that isn't, in no way is this an indictment on the individuals that are giving their lives to help older individuals in nursing homes it's not necessarily a quality thing it's it's that these individuals are not paid well and so they are over they are overworked they are underpaid and we see a lot of burnout as a result well, that, that's your opinion and i just what you know i've never, your never experiences seen with there. one keith though it's yeah, great sure. to hear good experiences and i know when my mother-in-law was in a nursing home it was great too the care was great thank you it, libby i'm going to listen now okay okay thank you. thanks yeah, but, you know, we have seen a number of reports. We saw the Auditor General's report uh, just the other week. Maybe it was last week. And, and we've seen this about these very specific three homes in British Columbia where the province has actually stepped in. Well, and, and, and not too long ago, we also learned of that indi- of the story of the 94-year-old yeah. blind woman that was confined to yeah, a bedbug-infested in room. No, it was in Vancouver. It was in B.C., actually. Oh, okay. Well, a bedbug-infested okay. room. But these stories happen all the time. Yes. But that isn't to say, I mean, my grandmother was in a long-term care home, and the staff that, that were there and that were taking care of her, to, to your last caller's point were wonderful yeah and she had a wonderful relationship with them but that doesn't mean that they're not underpaid and it doesn't mean that they're not overworked well yeah and then there's an issue you know they they are they uh, they work very hard at the best of times and then if somebody calls in sick it's a nightmare because they just double up they just get have to end up with twice the work and again i'm very glad that keith has had this great experience with his aunt's long-term care home but it it doesn't mean that there aren't problems and that they are not systemic problems because they are wow now the bombshell last week and i know i'm sure carp wants to stay completely neutral but but uh there's a leadership race just about on in the conservative party so what are you going to be looking for from the new leader or the people who are running are you looking for anything in particular from the conservatives oh well i i will say this it didn't come as much of a surprise um i think the, the ultimately it, whatever it was i mean what caused 
uh, Mr. Shear to step down was unfortunate. Um, but from the sounds of it, it was it sounded as if he was almost pushed out, not necessarily. Oh, he was totally. So, um, so what we will be, of course, looking for is a leader that takes seniors' issues seriously and and is willing to work in. Uh, with this minority government is willing to work with them in order to further, because we're not going to accept the status quo and we're not going to accept, you know, um, uh, parties not willing to work together, particularly in a a minority environment. I think that's true. I think that the, the hard part will be getting past the obvious verbiage that they are all going to use to assess how much do they really know and do they have the ability to make things happen. No candidate for the leadership, my opinion, is going to step forward and declare, I don't care about seniors, I don't care. I mean, they're all, they, the words are there already. They all know what they need to say and they're all going to say them. So you're going to be looking at, well, does this person really have it to make change happen, to make things happen, or are they just good at reciting uh, this I say about seniors, this I say about unions, this I say about young people, this I say about... Uh, those words are already you know, well-developed, but who's got the, the muscle to really make something happen? That's what I would be looking for. And the Will and Peter? Well, um, speaking you know, from a political standpoint, the, the Conservatives are going to have to find out you know, what went wrong in the last election and whether it was a factor of having Sheer as your leader or whether it's just where the party is right now. And um, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to choose a leader who can break up this liberal coalition that's going on, this progressive centralist coalition that's going on right now. And uh, I think they might find that, you know, Sheer did as well as any leader could do. And instead of becoming more liberal they're going to have to stake out a real position somewhere that's not liberal and and that's what the new leader is going to do so it's going to be very difficult to find someone like that i think okay we are just about out of time uh david anything else you want to bring to our attention before we wrap up this segment a very uh wishy-washy uh mandate letter on health care it said all the right things but it's uh, got so much in there that uh, we'll be watching closely to see if they the can list. make yep. any of it stick we, we you were just talking about the right noises so it's there all in there but the wordsmithing is always great in this country you never need to worry about wordsmithing uh-huh. here but results is something else no and on the point of uh, the health minister i won't be content to continue to see a health minister that isn't as involved in what goes on provincially and territorially from a health perspective so i'd like to see our health minister play a bigger role uh, not in just its sort of spending power in terms of you know the federal government sending transfers to the provinces and the territories but actually setting out guidelines and principles and and requirements benchmarks if you will on what each of the provinces and territories must do in order to in order to uh, receive those funds. Peter? In, um, in um, Bill Murnow's economic update today, uh, he forecasts that the Liberals will miss the budget projection by $6 billion again. Mm-hmm. So um, once again, they've missed uh, budget projection. That's five times, I think. And uh, I think going forward, they're going to miss it every single time. So add a few billion onto their projections. And uh, I think we'll be all right with that. Okay. Uh, That's it for this week. Uh, We will be 
talking again next week. Thank you so much <laughs> to the Zoomer Squad, David Kravitz, Marissa Lennox, and Peter Mugridge. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.